Hello everyone and welcome to Embracing Crazy. I'm Toral Corrin. So great to be here with you and so blown away by the response from my first episode. I just wanted to say thank you for the way you've reached out, uh, the way you've responded and the space you held uh, me in by listening. That so much of sharing our stories and what we've been through uh, is how it's uh, received and held, not by uh, it being liked or acknowledged, but it being just held and heard and seen. And again, I'm uh, blown away by the response and mostly blown away by the response of others sharing with me already uh, the struggles that they've been going through. Uh, people I've never heard from and also friends, the combination of that, uh, that just by me sharing, uh, a space opens for others to share. So I'm really excited that that's already begun. And I wanted to jump in and straight away do an episode around really simple foundational parts of what it took me to embrace crazy on a real active level beyond even the diagnosis OCD and more the kind of fundamental foundations that really gave me a chance to return to the life that was waiting for me, that mental illness had stolen. And I think this is more important than ever because maybe there's never been a time, certainly in our lifetimes, that we've needed mental health and emotional health more during this global pandemic. The pressures on all of us, uh, and some more than others, uh, the hardships people are going through, the global uh, political and uh, volatile landscape of the world at large in this moment, in 2021, uh, is maybe the most uncertain and I say uncertain because that is such a incredible fragile and unpredictable and unknown place to be as a human being that we've all been thrust into uncertainty in some way or another now some people are going through direct trauma loss of job loss of family and some of us are just living in uncertainty Either way, the global condition right now is at an all-time uncertain peak. So what a time to truly give each other the support as our survival systems, these inbuilt biological systems that we each have inherited, uh, feel uncertain uh, and can't predict what's next. In that time, in this moment, this is when people start to develop mental dis-ease and emotional dis-ease in their life, sometimes without even knowing that it's developing. Some of you will be experiencing acute flare-ups of mental health issues that have showed themselves to you already in your life. And, and rightly so, because in this time, uh, things can be easily, easily triggered and, uh, easily relapsed. So my heart goes out to all of you and you are the reason 
I'm doing this. So I really want to jump in today into what has taken me foundationally, as I said, and there is no greater entry point than what it's taken me to learn again how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. What a subject. We are hardwired biologically to avoid discomfort. We are automatically, by nature, trained to leave discomfort and seek pleasure, or at least relieve ourselves from discomfort. However, built into our biology is systems that move to make us uncomfortable when we're threatened. So that is such a wild paradox because in built into us are systems that don't necessarily balance out, that they both form or serve different functions. So your survival alarm system in a time of threat or unknown or uncertainty is going to trigger to make sure you are entirely forewarned at possible danger. That could be easily done by sending you any variations of your biochemistry, adrenaline uh, in the form of fear, anxiety. It could uh, bring other people different feelings. Of course, it's not always anxiety. It can be depressive feelings. Either way, our biology has been designed to warn us or pre-warn us particularly of impending danger. So at the same time, we're also, as human beings, designed to leave uncomfortable feelings and search out relief or good feelings. So while our body triggers uncomfortable feelings, we want to run from those uncomfortable feelings. So inbuilt into this human condition is the desire to leave the very thing our body is creating automatically. So simply put, we are designed by nature to be easily triggered. And what that means is automatic thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions that are, that are designed to warn us of danger, especially in troubling times, either unknowns or traumatic times. We're also designed to run from feeling uncomfortable so that we do our best to get to relief and good feelings. However, what I've discovered, and it's really the you know, namesake of this podcast, is that the only way toward mental health and emotional health is instead of running from, it's to move toward. It's to accept, it's to embrace, and it's to rebuild a resilient relationship to being uncomfortable in an even simpler way, can we invite ourselves to handle the waves of those triggers without having to do anything? And whilst equally forming a new relationship to those waves as if they're not us, can we begin to, instead of personalizing the anxiety, all of the thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions that get automatically triggered in those moments, can we, instead of believing it's us, begin to form the relationship to it 
that is actually objective and also caring, where we actually bring under our wing and have those thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions instead of personalize them or see them as ourselves. This is a huge one. This is a huge subject. And this is really the purpose of my podcast overall. So let's start simply. When these survival systems that you're living with trigger, just like mine, when they trigger, our bodies want to disassociate or we want to jump out of our skin. So what happens when we learn to come home to our body and deal with the waves and the storms of those feelings and those sensations? So often we've looked at mental health as a mind-based experience. So often we look at mental health as something that occurs just in the head. But what I had to discover on my path to mental wellness was that most of what was occurring for me was in my body. It was sensation-based. It was less thought-based and more sensation-based. In fact, the sensations was really what I was most afraid of feeling. And the sensations and feelings were the ones that would really give birth to the thoughts. And it wasn't until I started to realize, well, it's just as possible that feelings and sensations could trigger me and trigger the storm of thoughts after that I, re- I found a breakthrough there. So you might be a, a thinking first person or you might be a body sensation person first. Either way, they're both possible. I began to relearn to associate with my body a number of years back. And through a incredible friendship I formed with a man named Jay Atacama, uh, a healer based in New York City, he was the first to show me how out of my body I was. And I wanted to touch on that today. And I want to even take a moment to lead you through that later in the podcast. What I discovered was I'd been living, quote unquote, out of my body for years. When I started to reassociate with coming home to my body, the first thing I had to do was learn to be uncomfortable again. So what's it gonna, what, did, what, is it, what did it take for me to be uncomfortable? Well, I wish it was more complicated uh, because it felt that complicated. But at the end of the day, it took my willingness and it took my trust. And trust is a word that I didn't really understand until about a decade ago, even though I knew the word growing up. But what I realized was trust was courage in action. That trust was knowing you were stepping into the unknown, knowing that you were stepping into risking it all, and knowing that you were going against the thoughts, feelings, and sensations, and emotions that warned you of danger, that warned you with doubt and fear and terror and panic. And instead of following those urges or reacting to them, to do the exact opposite, 
as if you weren't even experiencing those feelings or thoughts or sensations in the first place. And that takes not just courage, but courage in action. Or in certain circumstances, and especially with OCD, and with many other impulsions and compulsions, to abstain means to be courageous in inaction, which means to actually not do the very thing that would continue to dig deeper into the rabbit hole of that mental ill health experience in your life. So what does it take to abstain from habits and behaviors that make you dig deeper into that anxious or depressive rabbit hole? And what does it take to do the very things that your biology, your anxiety or depression are warning you to not do? to do them anyway. That takes a relationship with being uncomfortable. This really goes back to something we all had to discover as children at some point, that at some point in our lives, we were faced with terror. For most of, it, it was early, for most of us, it was early on. It could be in the form of a long hallway and shadows, and you just didn't want to go down. In fact, my daughter right now is dealing with this very experience. Uh, we have spent the last six months creating fun games about helping her face her fears of our hallway. Uh, full disclosure, her fears of the hallway began after I um, very excitedly wanted to show her films from my childhood, movies from my childhood that made me feel cozy. And uh, I accidentally showed her a specific movie um, just a little bit too soon, which I realized halfway through the film and turned it off. Um, my favorite film from growing up, The Goonies. And I definitely showed it her too soon. And it opened up a fear of our hallway. Um, something I've had to just accept that I accidentally did. You know, as parents, we, we make mistakes um, unknowingly at times. And uh, so I've, I've taken responsibility for that. And she's been up to facing that fear. And at first, it was, it was small. It was the lights had to be on. And then she started to avoid it further, the hallway, and needed someone to come with her. And then she wouldn't go into the hallway without one of us. And then she wouldn't be in a room on her own. And I watched firsthand her world very innocently get smaller in our house. That as these triggers went off in her body saying there might be something dangerous in the hallway or a character out of the Goonies in the hallway, that it didn't stop there. Because the more she listened to that voice or thought, feeling, sensation, or emotion in her body and mind, the more she listened, the more it reinforced it. So instead of just staying as a fear of the hallway, it started to populate further. Or, simply put, she started to avoid more and more and more and became afraid of more of the house than just the hallway. And what my daughter Willow is experiencing is exactly the mechanism that causes uh, phobic and avoidant behavior. Uh, she is very young. She's only five. And 
being the behavioral coach that I am, I we jumped on it as soon as we could, and we ha- we knew that she loved uh, presents and gifts and um, positive reinforcement. And so we created this game called the Courage Act. And I am so proud to say that she's at a hundred Courage Acts now, and the whole way is diminishing uh, every Courage Act in front of her. And we've set up this idea that if she gets to 250 and beyond Courage Acts, that she can, that her dad will buy her the mother of all toys which has still not been defined at how big that toy is. Uh, I might be in trouble there. But I'm so proud to, to say that I'm, I'm watching her courageously put her trust in action, or her courage in action is her trust, that she might be able to be okay being uncomfortable for long enough to challenge back the part of her that says, don't be uncomfortable. And so on a kindergarten level, no matter how old we are, what age we are, that at any point in our lives, we can go through something that triggers instability and starts to create behaviors that make us want to avoid being uncomfortable and disassociate from our body when it makes us terrified. In fact, the mechanism of panic attack is one of being afraid of panic. So as we can see that to reassociate with our body and to learn what that might take to bridge back to a new relationship, to being home in the body, no matter what it feels like is a absolute elixir. So the other thing here, and I hope to have my friend, Dr. Joan Rosenberg on the podcast soon. I hope she says yes, that so often, and I'm bringing her up because she's written some incredible work on the subject of uh, uncomfortable feelings. And she has done plenty of research on how really the time period, the discomfort lasts when we freely allow ourselves to experience it. Like a wave is coming instead of fighting that wave or trying to make that wave go away or running from that wave or freezing solid as the wave hits us. And what I just described really was flight, fright, fight, freeze, as opposed to moving toward embracing, accepting, and working with the wave, not from the motivation of if I work with the wave, the wave will go away, but knowing the wave is coming and accepting that it's going to be uncomfortable for the duration of how long it takes to pass through. In fact, it's in my belief that when we form a relationship with these waves of discomfort, that nature takes its course. In fact, nature even might want us to process these waves over and over again until it gets digested, worked out, and organized in our mind and body. Another way to say that is maybe the cause, and this is in my belief, my, my deep behavioral belief, and we'll go there many more times in this podcast, that so often these waves are just waves of undigested trauma. 
both small, medium, and large versions of trauma, and quite often accumulated trauma over many, many years. That's not to discount the possibility of ancestral trauma, and to go even deeper, past life trauma, if it's something that you're open to discovering. However, no matter what the arc or length of gathering is around trauma, it is the same process. So as you're standing there, what might occur when you allow yourself to make a choice this time, in every little moment, as best you can, to decide to relax and relax back into your body, to take a deep breath from that space. And as the waves come, and I only recommend trying this to the, to the extent of which you can handle what occurs when you allow yourself to go beyond resistance or avoidance and choose to allow yourself to feel the wave that's wanting to come next? And what occurs when you allow yourself to experience it without waiting for it to end, but accepting it will be as long as it is? My grandmother, my beautiful grandmother would say, this too shall pass all the time to me. She was an incredible she is an incredible woman, and uh, amongst the many things she passed on to me, this too shall pass. She would say to me at my lowest mental ill points, of course, I didn't like it at the time because it felt like it would never end. And that's the trick with anxiety and triggered thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions. When we're at our worst, it's as if it will never end. In fact, the biological system you've been gifted is designed to warn you that it may never end, that our systems are designed to send us the appropriate level of discomfort to say this might be this uncomfortable for an infinity. Well, most likely not. In fact, according to Dr. Joan Rosenberg, we can find emotional freedom when we allow ourselves to embrace the waves after 90 seconds. Now, of course, there is no certainty with that, and it's really about our ability to embrace the uncertainty of how long we'll feel uncomfortable. But notice for yourself the next time you, and hopefully soon you, you gift yourself the courage to try allowing yourself to feel a wave of discomfort and notice without any attachment to the result how long it actually lasts and maybe after 90 seconds it's not done and maybe it's 10 minutes 20 minutes maybe it's a night uh, depending on where you are in your mental health journey what might occur if you slowly and only at your pace begin to allow yourself Again, the gift of being uncomfortable and letting nature do what it needs to do. Many of us know the alternative to that, which is to become uh, addicted to trying to fix, avoid, and deny being uncomfortable. Maybe the other direction has the answer that you're looking for. It certainly has for me. I remember a time 
deep into the intensive treatment program that I was at uh, back in 2009. I had taken a break from an album that I was making at the time and asked my family for help. My beautiful mother, Madeline McRae, moved to LA, and I know I shared a little bit of this in the first episode, but I remember a time when I was standing doing exposures and with OCD, you know, so much of it's about exposing oneself to the most scary things in order to really gain back a new relationship to normal function. So a simple way to put that is OCD really is an acute version that we're all going through. Uh, That's my belief after going through it a case of OCD that had me 38 out of 40 on the obsessive brown scale, which was one step from hospital, that what I've discovered walking out of that is that really OCD is an acute version of being unwilling to be uncomfortable and forming habits, rituals, and behaviors and compulsions in order to relieve that discomfort. So... I was standing there in this intensive treatment program uh, and I happened to be standing in the Museum of Death, uh, which is a museum in Los Angeles in Hollywood. A, uh, I believe a man and his partner started it. It is a museum of death. It is a scary place uh, for a lot of us. For a lot of people, it would be scary. And I spotted this museum one day and I knew I had to make myself go in uh, as a part of my therapy. And I mustered up the courage and actually saw it when we were driving down the street and I looked and all of a sudden I saw the, the, the words museum of death. And a part of me, you know, the, the anxious part of me went, you didn't just see that. And a part of me went, I, I think I just saw something I might need to go check out. And so, you know, I really wanted to get better at this moment in my life. And so I, I said to my mother and, and my wife now, Ashley, uh, I think you need to pull over. I need to go see what that is. So I, I get out of the car and part of me is hoping it's just not actually a museum called the Museum of Death. And uh, lo and behold, it was. And so I rocked up to the entrance. And it was open. And I walked in. And the man said, can I help you? And I was like, oh. And he's like, you, you're here to, here to visit? You know? And I was like, yeah, I'll be right back. So I, I went back out to the car. And uh, I can't remember exactly what happened next. I, I believe Ashley and I both went in, but I remember my mother saying, oh, I'm not going in there. Uh, and this is a place that unless you have a love of the macabre, um, you know, it's, it's not a place for the faint of heart what's in this museum. And so in I went, bought a ticket. There was no one else in the museum at the time. And I remember I honed in on, my job was to hone in on anything that brought anxiety, anything that brought my body into a state of discomfort and anything that would make me want to ritualize to relieve that anxiety. And so as I'm walking through this museum, I, I come across this coffin. And at the time... I had extreme fear of spirits, ghosts, uh, anything that was spell-like, curse-like, 
masonry witch stuff at the time. I was really, really triggered by anything like that. So here was this coffin that caught my attention. And so I went up to the coffin and, and my greatest fear at the time was about being able to somehow accidentally become contaminated by these spirits, these ghosts or objects that might have bad quote unquote energy in them. So I knew exactly what to do. I went up to this coffin and I put my hand on the coffin and of course immediately I was just sent this wave of terror, this wave of discomfort, this absolute frightening chemistry all through my body. My, I felt faint. I felt all of these outrageously strong, uncomfortable feelings. And it was my role to stay with my hand on this coffin until my anxiety at least came down two points. Well, I had definitely gone to a nine out of 10 at easy, uh, if not higher. And so there I was with my hand on this coffin. And at this point I was in the, the room of the museum on my own and I had to stay there. And then it dawned on me, well, this is probably pretty weird because I'm standing here just holding a coffin for now going on three minutes. And so as soon as I thought I could, I, I left, you know, took my hand off and I walked around looking at other stuff and I knew I had to go back to that coffin to keep exposing myself, to keep facing the discomfort. So there I was, I went back and put my hand on it again. And I thought, well, and you know, there, there I was filled with anxiety and terror. And I thought, well, this is not going down quickly. So I'll just do a few minutes at a time with my hand on the coffin. And so by the fourth or fifth chunk of minutes, I, my anxiety did, it, it did start to come down. I started to feel more in my body and that I had allowed the wave that I'd felt to pass through me over the course of about 15 or 20 minutes of exposing myself and allowing myself to be uncomfortable. And I noticed that it did change. And, and I had gone past a part of me that was unwilling to be that uncomfortable. And I'd stayed with that discomfort for a long enough period of time. And I remember feeling a change. I remember feeling like, oh, wow, maybe I really can challenge this. Like maybe I really can challenge back the places that this dis-ease or this, this part of my life, you know, this disorder has stolen from me. And so, you know, I was feeling kind of proud of myself as I walked through the other parts of this museum. And I'll spare the graphic details, but there was so many things that were frightening in this museum. Nothing frightened me as much as that coffin. Uh, the other thing that frightened me just as much as the coffin, which I brought up briefly, uh, and I bring up uh, soon, is was a drawing of a devil picture, um, actually a picture of Satan, uh, drawn by Ricky Ramirez, the, uh, the Night Stalker. And this drawing was so scary uh, that it, it literally drained the blood out of my face at the time because it felt so dangerous to be uh, touching the picture and locking eyes with the picture. So those two things in this museum I honed in on and, and, and quote-unquote exposed myself to them. 
And I stayed with the discomfort as long as I possibly could. And I want to say like maybe an hour passed of me solo, pretty much solo, uh, walking through this museum. And as I went to leave, you know, I felt really proud of myself for what I'd done. I was, I was still really, really anxious. And as I went to leave, uh, the owner of the museum looked at me and said, Oh, you're really, really into that coffin. And it hadn't dawned on me that there might be cameras through the museum. And I went, I thought on the fly, I said, yeah. He was like, you, you into masonry? And I was like, yeah, because I had no idea how to admit that I was there to expose myself uh, to my own anxiety with OCD. So he was intrigued and he said, hey, come back another time. I've got, I've got some other stuff I want to show you. And so... Uh, I did go back, and I never told the gentleman why I was going back. I went back uh, twice, and uh, one of those times he did take me in the back and show me some books on masonry, which I thought was, you know, again, another opportunity to expose myself to what made me so uncomfortable. So I'm very grateful for that museum. So there's a really big example of uh, places I've ventured uh, in my life. And there's many more examples that I could go into, and I will. But I wanted to finish the episode with you all uh, in a little transmission, in a little moment. Uh, So wherever you are right now, if you're driving, if you're doing something active, uh, don't close your eyes. But to the best of your ability, I want you to just simply invite yourself home in your body, as it is right now. Another way to say that is, I want you to just allow yourself to relax the energy that you are, the consciousness that you are, to allow yourself to come and be at home in your body, even with the discomfort. Another way to say it would be, I want you to move back into your house, even though there's squatters of anxiety. Even though maybe there's people living in the house, anxiety, depression, panic, discomfort of any kind, any automatic thought, feeling, sensation, or emotion within your mind or body, I want you to move back into your body anyway. And I want you to not try to kick them out. I want you to just move back in to all rooms with your consciousness, with your energy as best you can. And one way to do that is to just relax and make that invitation that you can handle coming back and moving back into your body in this moment as it is. And just from this place, I just want you to take three deep breaths and notice that as you're breathing, that there's an experience there for you and it might be very uncomfortable It might be very emotional, but notice that at least for the most part, it's something that you can, at least in this one bite, handle. That discomfort and being uncomfortable is an okay thing for you to do one little step at a time. And as you allow yourself to experience how it feels for you to be home in your body, associated again 
I just want you to view and witness all of these automatic thoughts, feelings, sensations, and emotions. And notice that you can experience them. And as you allow yourself to experience them, notice that when you experience them, you have them. And when you have them, you're no longer being them. You're willing to have those waves of feelings if they are there. And what occurs when we become okay with them? What occurs when we become okay not being okay? Being okay meaning what occurs when we are okay being uncomfortable? One bite, one discomfort, one moment at a time. See how many times you can do that today and how many more times can you do that in your week? Take it slow and I wish you the very best in forming this new relationship to being uncomfortable and inviting yourself home in your body regardless of how it feels and regardless of how you have been instead honoring yourself in this moment as you are knowing that maybe, just maybe, the gateway to new mental health will be reassociating and allowing yourself again to experience being uncomfortable for as long as it lasts until the waves do pass and this too shall pass. And this is Embracing Crazy. I'm Toral Corin. Join me next time. Much more to come. Mm-hmm.